0: Because it is incredibly frustrating that over this half century, when the government has built effectively, no public housing, where's all that tax money gone?
1: On the same note, they were able to put in CERB overnight.
0: Totally. And they're They're able able to to
1: fund billions and billions of dollars there, but they're unable to build apartment buildings that everyone can afford.
0: And they're able to get CRA to now claw back a lot of CERB and investigate Mm -hmm. and audit every little last detail. So don't tell me that you can't make this happen. We need a ferry from Bedford to Halifax, <laughs> Okay, right? Is... They've designed a 14 or $18 million ferry terminal there. Or maybe could we have done with $18 million worth of affordable housing?
1: Do we want the housing? It seems like when, a no. When, when I was broke, I had rich habits, uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits,
0: uh. I'm gonna go on a little rant here. Oh, else as do? I sometimes do.
1: Sometimes. Like I, most times,
0: I actually have a lot of respect for journalism. I think journalism is, journalism is important, and I'm one of those people that's actually sad when a newspaper shuts down. And I genuinely feel we need to differentiate between journalists and entertainers slash influencers slash podcast people. Like I think journalism deserves that credibility, some respect. It does. The problem yes. is it undercuts itself left and right, and we've now reached this point where. I don't want to go down this whole fake media, blah, 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 blah. But like, there, there's clear bias in the me- media. And there used to be this old adage of, you know, there's no cheering in the press box, yeah. which came from sports. Like if you were a sports journalist, yeah. you were not allowed to cheer for one team over another. yeah, And that was just like the bare minimum expectation for sports. yeah. And now and, the journalists and the particular media groups are so biased, it's crazy. And I know it seems naive to be surprised by but so frustrating and the reason i'm mentioning this is because there was an article sent to me and i won't say who it was sent to me by and it was a cbc article you can tell where i'm going with this yeah i think I and do. it's about rent strikes and okay yeah, that's what i got in my hand Continue. but where I, what i want to highlight is and people are going to think this is odd and maybe this is because at one point in time I got a master's degree in arts. Mm -hmm. Like like you just rolled your eyes. That is the appropriate (laughs) reaction. That is the appropriate reaction. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I swear. Um, But journalists have a lot of education Mm -hmm. and they're very knowledgeable with respect to little things like punctuation and capitalization. And it actually matters. You're going to think I'm nuts, but I can tell you, having gone through that education system, they know exactly what they're doing when they choose words Mm -hmm. and when they choose how to convey things. So this particular article was talking about these rent strikes that are happening in Ontario. And to highlight, there are 200 strikers in some high-rise complex. So and then yeah. there's 100 in another yeah. um, building. And the reason they're striking, which doesn't actually go into much detail in the article because you know that could imply some sort of um, unbiased consideration of the facts. Mm-hmm. They don't go into the details. But the details roughly are... The 200 have had six increases in 10 years. Yeah. First of all, not unreasonable off the hop. Six increases in 10 years. Considering the
1: last 10 years of what's taken place.
0: Totally. That Mm -hmm. in itself seems like something you shouldn't just gloss over. Carbon
1: tax almost has gone up.
0: Yeah. That warrants some (laughs) analysis of, well, what were those increases over those 10 years? And how does that compare to the market? Because six increases in 10 years is actually, it's not 10 increases in 10 years, which would Mm -hmm. have been the minimal allowable. Mm -hmm. Or the maximum level. Um, the other hundred—that's at the two hundred units. The other hundred have had an increase of almost ten percent in the last two years, almost ten percent. So somewhere around, let's call it nine percent, roughly total? Over, over the total over the last two years. Which means they have had, you know, one increase last year, and then there's a new proposed increase. So they haven't even gotten the second increase yet. They're fighting it. Ten
1: mm-hmm.
0: percent over two years. Let's think about it in the broad context of inflation. Nothing else in the world has only gone up 10% in two years. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about what's fair, what's not fair, but just putting on our reality helmets for a second, nothing else has only increased 10% over the last two years. Yeah. Having said that, the rental cap in Toronto right now, which is laughably, or in Ontario, which is laughably meant to um, address inflation, and yep. to go with the inflation. It's set at 2.5% this year. Yeah. Which is a joke. Yeah. But that's what the rule is. But you can apply for something called an above guideline increase. Yep. AGIs. AGIs. I'm glad you chimed in with that acronym mm-hmm. because above guideline increases are an actual real thing. This is mm-hmm. not just random words. This is part of the tenancy process, part of the rules in Ontario. Sense.
1: It makes total sense, honestly.
0: Totally. But this is where I get into the language, the actual language they use in the article. Because even though above-guideline increases are a real legal thing as part of their tenancy rules, and there's an acronym, AGI's, they don't capitalize it in the article. And you're going to think that's a really silly thing to dwell on. But when you capitalize something, Formalizes you legitimize it. it. Yeah. You formalize it. You say, yeah. this is a real thing. It's not just something that a landlord has made up. But they put above guideline increases intentionally in small lettering every single time because it sounds like, oh, my gosh, some landlord is doing an increase that are above the guidelines. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like they're breaking the rules when, in fact, they are not. They're doing something that's entirely legitimate a albeit, process. with a formal application process. Mm-hmm. And people are going to laugh and think that I'm making something out of nothing but trust me when I say these people have a lot of education and they know exactly what they're doing. So when they choose to not capitalize something that is a formalized, real, legitimate, and legal process, they are intentionally trying to basically... It's framing. It, it, it's, it's the framing of the message mm-hmm. that, oh, no, this is an above-guideline increase. Mm-hmm. And they do that on purpose, and it's very frustrating. And the article goes on to talk about... um. You know the history of other rent strikes in Canada, of course, with all kinds of quotes from people who work in the affordability sector. uh, One of whom says, "You know, of course, this is a great thing, and it's worth the risk." And blah blah. They sort of gloss over the risk. But just to backtrack again, we're talking. There've been there's one increase of I think like four and a half percent last year, and the one proposed for this year is like five and a half, as opposed to the two and a half percent they would already be entitled to. Yep. So they're asking for an additional 3%, yep. which again, is not crazy. And in order to go through this process, you have to show that you have put capital investment, maintenance and expenditure into the building to justify this. Yep. It is a legitimate process. And these people have decided instead, they're going to put their tenancy at risk and their credit at risk by just not paying any rent.
1: How does your credit get impacted in this case?
0: Well, there are some cases where you Oh, can, unpaid
1: rent, you can go through the whole entire process and eventually get to exactly. the point where it goes Yeah, it goes yeah like a your
0: person. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Um so. And the article ends with the following line: While rent strikes are noble, they do come with risks. Well, first of all, no kidding. Second of all, I take issue with the idea that rent strikes are noble. Because we all can agree that there's some threshold of these big bad corporations. We need to. Who said it was noble? Th- the journalist. So, again, this is meant to be. This is a publicly funded um, news media company. You can take a guess which one it is. I mean, so this is paid for by bar- our tax dollars, and this person is saying the generalization that rent strikes are noble. First of all, that's debatable in its own right, and I think that as a journalism. Journalists, I don't know that it's really your place to be making these comments on, like, what's more moralistic than what isn't. And, You're supposed to report
1: what's going on. not Yeah. Um, sway the public's perception. Also,
0: this is where I think it's ironic because for all of their liberal left-leaning, they don't even think about their word choice of the word noble because, I mean, that comes from this idea of being high born and of the wealthy class. And it started to be used for moral high ground because it was assumed that people that were from upper classes had greater morality than people from lower. So they're even using this word that is so um, problematic, which I find irony in because usually these sort of media sources are the king of proper words or the queen of what yeah, language yeah. you use. And if blah, the landlord blah.
1: was noble, it would not be good.
0: But at what point is it, noble, like, would they ever say it was noble to steal groceries? Maybe. (laughs) Right? Because this is a real thing. Like, people are struggling with housing, so it's noble to not pay your rent. Um, People are struggling with food, so is isn't noble to steal food. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is. Maybe in some context there's this Robin Hood idea, (laughs) but we have to, we can't just make these generalizations. And this is so disrespectful of what journalism is meant to be, and it's a really sad state that it's gotten to. And this is why journalism loses credibility. Everyone's like, man, throw a mic in front of me. Throw a social media account. Like, I'll be a journalist. And it it should be held to a higher standard than that. And I know there's some irony in that because we're here doing that, but
1: I fully acknowledge that. Like, I'm not a journalist. We're sharing you know? our opinions. Yeah. Um, I think in a position of that much exposure, and like you said, being a journalist, it should be less opinion-based and more of an interview and a discussion of what's taking place versus, like you said, yeah. twisting it. I want to... Have a response article here. And I'm sorry it. for the rant, guys. This no, is no. the
0: Master Keys Podcast. Thanks for tuning this, in. I'm Chandler.
1: This is the Master Keys rant. I'm Neil Andrino. Yeah. Um I have a McLean's article. Um, and yeah. it's why Canada Might Just Need a Tenant Revolution. A Q&A with housing researcher Ricardo Tranjan. I think that's how it's pronounced. Anyways, this actually responds, and Ricardo says he doesn't feel that there is a crisis which is very controversial. And so they ask him why... Tricky Ricky over here. Tricky Ricky. It says, you argue that there's not really a housing crisis in Canada. That would probably surprise a lot of people. If it's not a crisis, what is it? And he goes, we have a housing market that allows certain segments of the population to benefit enormously from real estate transactions and accumulate wealth. And this is something that's been taking place for an extended period of time. He said the government... One second, let me pull it up. The government, basically what he's getting at is that they've set this up. He said this is a framing problem and Mm -hmm. an issue of class, not... Mm -hmm. An issue of housing. Um, he's like, this is, our housing system hasn't suddenly failed. Instead, it's working exactly as designed. It's to enrich property owners at the expense of everyone else. The problem is, is that it went in a sudden overdrive during COVID.
0: I agree. We talked about this the other day, um, that the government feeds off the teat of real
1: estate. To, to call it a housing crisis is politically naive. When we talk about a crisis, we refer it to something that was unexpected and unavoidable. But our housing market is set up to work this way. This cr- Framing it as a crisis prevents us from having serious conversations about how to find a solution. And I was like, oh shit. And Man. it's sweet that McLean's actually, like, because it's a Q&A, they had to write down what he said versus spinning it around. Um, this framing also gives us a sense that most people are interested in solving the problem, willing to sit around a table and find a solution, but that's just not true. There are Mm -hmm. folks, particularly in the real estate industry, actively lobbying for things to stay the same and an unregulated housing market benefits them enormously. So he's also still saying like the system we have is not correct and could potentially the capitalistic way it's the financialization of housing that's taking place isn't correct, but it's also the idea that things are being framed on both ends And it's more of a battle. It's not not making any sense.
0: And they take that to the article. You get this stupid, stupid article on one side. And all that does is give tenants the continued idea like, oh, the issue here is bad landlords. And then you get landlords who are so jaded like, well, gosh, now I have to raise my rents over here because I can't do this over there. And it distracts from the actual issue and making actual legitimate progress.
1: And that's what he said. So he said profit margins are high and investors are building wealth quickly, which is true. But then he also follows it with governments have invested very little in non-market housing for the past 30 years. And a smaller and smaller percentage of the population has been able to access this housing, which has put pressure on the market. Provincial governments have been weakening rent controls, notably in Ontario. This is where he talks about this, enabling the predatory practices of landlords. And I think that's where you see people responding like this. And again, going back to his original point of framing is what also allows people to feel motivated to fight back. Because sometimes a 3% rent increase probably is justified. Um, Anyways, long story short, I just wanted to say this because he says the same concept. And he's able to have a more neutral opinion on the fact that yes, There are lots of property owners making a fortune here, but there's also an aspect of the government needs to step in and help because private construction is not going to be the one that's going to be able to solve this issue. Uh, And the fact that it's being labeled as a crisis is a bad way of looking at it because everyone assumes that, like you said, it was something unexpected and unavoidable when it's something that's been taking place for years and years and years, and we should have been planning for this along the line. And as much as landlords have been making money for a long time, the government has made no um push to build non-market housing that could we house talked about that the small so percentage times. of people that so many are times. unable to afford the, the yep. units are being built. Yeah. He yeah. said we need to politicize the housing debate in Canada. Attending class needs to be organized um and accumulate power and force to get the government to make a change. Not by not paying your landlord. You need to yep. rally your government to actually build some housing that can be for uh, that can be affordable.
0: I mean I would say where, where is the, where's the push for the property tax strike? Now, where's that push? Because that's a push I could get
1: behind. That's a noble, that's a noble cause. That's a noble <laughs> cause right there. <laughs> until, they, until they take your property.
0: Because it is incredibly frustrating that over this half century, when the government has built effectively no public housing, in terms mm-hmm. of actually moving the needle, they've, they've built none over the last half century. It's a long time. Where's all that tax money gone? So why would why would a landlord continually pay into this thing and have their money just lit on fire um, while it serves a system that's continually just vilifying them over and over and over again? And then, unfortunately, you get this oppositional, this kind of, this real antagonism where people go to the extremes, not only in their thoughts, but in their actions. And you get landlords abusing the system and you get tenants abusing the system. And then both sides throw up their hands and say, well, we can't actually have a conversation. And the media just pushes that because, you know, I was talking about the publicly financed taxpayer finance media. The other media, a lot of it is freelance, which means I need to write an article that's going to get clicks. Mm hmm. And I want people to support the article and share the article. So I'm going to go all the way over to this angry side. And it's more exciting. It, it, it's more intriguing. It placates, it, 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 it distracts people from actually holding the government accountable. Because here's a question. We're, we're talking, we're here based on health facts. How long has the housing crisis really been at the forefront in our city? Let's call it, let's say it started with COVID. So it's over three years. Mm-hmm. What has changed for public housing here in Halifax in those three years?
1: Nothing. And well, Nothing. Not, I'm going as I'm, the reason I'm looking at my phone as you're talking is I'm scrolling through this and he's just like the government at all levels needs to come in and participate more directly. Um, They have lots of other, they deprioritize profit in so many sectors healthcare, early education, public transit. They remove profit and they're able to do it. And they're saying they can't do it with housing because it's going to be a, gonna have to raise taxes. But on the same note, they're able to put in CERB overnight.
0: Totally. And they're They're able able to to, fund
1: billions and billions of dollars there, but they're unable to build apartment buildings that everyone can afford.
0: And they're able to get CRA to now claw back a lot of CERB and investigate Mm -hmm. and audit every little last detail. So don't tell me that you can't make this happen. Mm -hmm. And the excuse was like, oh, well, we need the units to come on quickly. There's there's not enough time. There's not enough time. It's like, well, now it's been three years. So if you had started three years ago, there would be units hitting the market now. In fact, those units would already be occupied because you could fast track the permits. You could fast track everything that the private sector has to sit around and wait with their thumb up their ass for two years. (laughs) You could just make it happen overnight, but you choose not to because you're more concerned with other things. Like it's... Oh man, I'm getting so frustrated, and this is getting very political. But we need a ferry from Bedford to Halifax. <laughs> okay, this right. We are bringing this home. Yep. But we have a. They've designed a 14 or 18 million dollar ferry terminal there.
1: In it's like, oh man,
0: we're gonna have a concert space. We're gonna have yeah, yeah. this. Like we're gonna have a lot of people will spend the next stuff.
1: six years gridlocked on the way to work because we're trying to add all these crazy well, things into it.
0: But yeah, maybe just do a, a wharf with a ferry. And then put that money towards housing.
1: But and I think you know what impacts on both of these? Some of the people making the decision on that Bedford, or a lot of people making decision on that Bedford Ferry Terminal, are impacted directly in that neighborhood by the Bedford Ferry Terminal. And they're like, no, no, I don't want a temporary, ugly ferry terminal down there. They also, I want, I want something that's going to make my house worth another two hundred grand because there's a friggin' sick venue down there, and it makes a ton of sense. And they I also, aren't
0: really impacted by the housing crisis there in the sense that there are no, not many tents in Bedford. I, <laughs> I'm like, let's give them a ferry as long as they take. 100
1: unhoused people. Well, and that, that's the other thing that they talk about is the other problem with uh, the government making any sort of push on non-market housing is it's going to impact neighborhoods negatively in a lot of ways, in, in people's eyes, in the sense that it's less affordable. or Sorry, it'll uh, reduce the pricing of their housing. And so government, people at all levels that are involved in making these decisions live across all of these cities. And like, well, I don't want a non-market housing apartment building at the end of my street. And it's they don't make want my property taxes lost.
0: going down and they don't want transfer tax going down.
1: They don't. Yeah, that is how. So it's it's going to reduce their income, but it's also I think a lot of people making the decisions are going to get impacted by this, and they're not going to be super keen. I guarantee if you, ask any politicians. Like, I saw this is an aside. I saw a reel of a guy, um, and he was at at like some thing for immigrating or letting refugees come in, into their country. I think it was in the UK, and so he's going around and he was asking people that were rioting, saying like, "We need to let the refugees in. We need to let the refugees in." Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh yeah, like, um, okay, I so like, can house. you ta- can you put one in your house?" And like, oh no, like I just I don't have space. And he goes an extra and like he's like, okay, no, this is great. Like we have one that's coming in. Are you guys able to house them? And they're like, Oh, like I would, but I have like a, a lung issue thing and I can't have oh, someone else. Yeah. Like, I mean, those are so great. And I was like, but Well, yeah. my sister's staying with me this week. He's like, Well, how about next week when your sister's gone? Can the refugee stay with you? And like, I, I don't think so. Like it just I and mean, it was just that same concept of yeah. like, these are the people that are outriding with with yeah, with, man, with the signs being like, <laughs> let the refugees yeah, yeah. into our country. And then every single one of them, you ask to be like, can, can you house some of them? And they're just like, whoa, nah, I mean, yeah. no, I, I it's like, where do you expect? I do have a good news story here. Um,
0: the city has spent $18 million on food, um, Sweet. right here in Halifax. It's going to be downtown. It's going to be for everyone. That's $18 million on food. What does that mean? It's going to be downtown
1: for everyone. Oh no,
0: wait. No, I misread that. <laughs> It's 18 million on pool. We got an 18 million dollar pool in downtown <laughs> Halifax. Well, that's good.
1: Um, we can all sleep around the edge of the pool.
0: Like, you know, so they've been playing that pool. It's a great pool. It's a Halifax Commons pool. It looks phenomenal.
1: I saw it in a flyover. It, it looked pretty banging. The
0: pavilion, like, it looks awesome. However, I it seems a little out of touch. And the problem is <laughs> this, the was, this was approved back, like they started looking at this Commons redesign around like 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. Money was raining from the skies. Mm-hmm. Money was cheap. Mm-hmm. Everything was good. Mm-hmm. And I understand that this is a project that was approved <laughs> years ago. But do we need an $18 million f- pool that was planned and built over four or five years? Or maybe could we have done with $18 million worth of affordable housing? Started... I, four or five years ago. Like this this is insane. And I know like the pool is going to be great. Yes. a community has to have money for a bunch of different things because quality of life matters. And these public spaces are often more utilized by people who are lower income and don't have access to say private pools and stuff like that. So I get all that, but man, there's only so much money to go around. And they decided four to five years ago that they were going to build an $18 million, like Band-Aid depository on the commons <laughs> instead of affordable <laughs> oh. housing. And we have to have that discussion. And uh, no one does. It'd be like, oh, well, like that's dumb to
1: make, associate again, one thing with another. But it's the, something to think about. And again, the neighborhoods around that are going to benefit from it. Right? It's going to be good for property values. Additionally, it, it makes all the, the counselors and the people who are involved in it look great. The Politicians involved look great. Everyone that's going to go, there's going to be super happy. you're exactly right. They're not addressing an actual issue that's needed. This is, there's like wants and needs. This was a want. Did we need a fancy band-aid depository in the middle of the park? No. Do we want one? Yes. Do we need housing? Does it need to be
0: that nice? Do we need housing? Yeah.
1: Yes. Do we want the housing? It seems like a no, because we're not really making it happen. We're not prioritizing it in the way we talk about
0: prioritizing it. Yeah. And I'm sure they're going to say, well, that money was already allocated and there's federal funding in there too. It's like, yep. But you also could have pressed pause on it and used it for something else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, I like the pool. It looks freaking awesome. You're
1: going to be but in there. But what that. are we doing? You're going to be in there.
0: I'm not going in that thing. band stuck to your face. I have my own pool. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and no one can come over and swing something that either. <laughs> um, I'm just saying like, I just, we don't have... I don't know what we're doing.
1: I don't Anyways, we're doing. I I let's, let's change from this, but I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's, we've talked about this 100 times. It's, it's a major time framing issue right now against landlords. Um, it is the government's responsibility. We've talked about that and talked about that and talked about that. Let's switch gears a little bit. So, Robert Cochran, I think a lot of you guys would know who she is. She's on Shark's Tank. Actually, she's known for real estate investing. Yeah, I think uh, and so, she's yeah. always kind of pinned as being the New York real estate investor. I think she was a big okay. time agent there as well at one point in time. Um, she's predicting house prices to go ballistic, and the reason being, and it kind of makes sense. And mm. the reason this is different than housing crises, I shouldn't use the word crisis now mm. after going after going after talking about everything we just talked about. But um, she said the difference is is we have such an inventory problem what's gonna happen is we're gonna we're gonna squeeze through this time right now and then the second rates start to mm-hmm. peel back you so think pricing's gonna go psychotic yep and we talked
0: about this before when gas goes from two dollars down to a buck ninety everyone goes nuts even look at the lineups over the weekend because gas is going up thirteen cents people were lined up around the block to save thirteen cents and thinking all of a sudden that a buck fifty for gas was really really cheap yep I just paid a buck seventy
1: five um Sellers don't want to move from their apartments or their homes because they don't want to take a higher interest rate. Buyers are too afraid to buy because they think they're getting less house for the price, so they're going to stand off. The minute those interest rates come down, all hell's Mm -hmm. going to break loose and prices are going to go right through the roof. We already saw
0: a microcosm of that in the spring because you remember Q4 of last year, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, a rate of whatever it may have been at the time, upper fives, that's too high, blah, 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 blah. And then in the spring, you could get rates in the low fives and everyone was like, let's go, baby. They went right back out there and started buying. And this is the challenge the Bank of Canada has in front of them, um, is how do they slowly bring those rates down in a way that doesn't push this mass buying?
1: Now, on the flip side, she says, differentiate the residential market from the commercial market. She thinks the commercial market's going to be deadbeat for a long time. Mm. She's like, it's already dead, and it's just kind of floating along. And right now, a lot of these places are locked into low rates, which is keeping them alive. But she said when the, when the rate renewals come up, they're going to take a beat down and she's going to take a lot of years before you see uh, any sort of recovery in the commercial market. She goes, I see that turning into a bloodbath over the next couple of years. Yeah. So I it's it. uh, something to consider there. On that note, actually, I wanted to ask you, and maybe this is something that we talk about next time because it give you a bit of time to think about it and look into it, but San Francisco. Population's going down. Rental rates are going down. Shopping malls are shutting down in the downtown cores. Office towers, tech's leaving. Office towers are going tits up. And it's something I want to bring up for the simple fact that, like, real estate, we always harp about location. And the best cities are always considered to be, like, the ones to go to. For Canada, it's, like, Toronto, Vancouver. And then in the States, there's New York, San Francisco, like, those, Miami's, like, those are the places that everyone flocks to. And for the last 50, 100 years, prices have gone up. And now we're seeing, like, I think San Francisco would be one of the more expensive, if not most expensive markets. There was a minute where I
0: think it was the most expensive market in um, North America, I believe. Yeah, I would totally
1: believe that 100%. And, like, if you went there 10 years ago, 20 years ago, everything seemed like roses, and there'd be no reason for it to ever stop. And now we're having this, like, complete turning and collapse of this massive, massive city. I mean, again, we can wait to talk about this, but, like, what do you think in your eyes is kind of the catalyst for this? The weather hasn't changed. The weather's still amazing. Uh, lots of people know there's, there's a rampant taxes. homeless Yeah. So, this is what I was calling it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I don't need to and, do the research. <laughs> it's there's taxes. There's crazy amounts of homelessness, but, and everyone says, well, they go there because of the weather. But I'm like, there's the entire southern belt of the states that also has that same weather that's not having these, these similar issues. Um, but California is the most aggressive with taxes and regulation and rules and issues of permitting and building and everything that goes along with that. Uh, and it's made it insanely expensive. And like a proof of concept is again, they have that entire Southern belt, which have the same demographics of like people now tech has now spread into these other States. Um, and now you're seeing a city completely finally get to the point where it's like, all right, we've officially been basically taxed to the death, quite literally taxed to the death. And they're falling off a cliff. Um, yeah, that's, all right. Well, then you didn't need to look into it, but that don't was, need to look into it. And yeah. I see it
0: on a micro scale all the time. These people come here from Ontario. they would hear like, oh, this is cool, man. I can buy a host for cheaper. Like, yeah. but the rest of my life is way more expensive. Um, I'm good. I'm gonna take off back again.
1: I'm. I'm not. I have a colleague who um, they work as a teacher here in uh, Canada, and they're looking at teacher jobs in the states. And it was like maybe a five or ten percent pay increase. But then when they factor in the currency differential, the income taxes that they save, um, and then the strength of the dollar, it worked out that they were making about 70% more. So as a teacher here, they're making in the mid-50s. And when we did the math, the equivalent for them by being in the States is they were almost making six figures. Like they were able to live comfortably down there, have a car, a place, actually like have extra cash, the whole shebang versus here, like couldn't cover rent.
0: I think I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on same the air. job. If it wasn't for my family and friends, I wouldn't live here. You're staying here for me? I'm staying here for you. <laughs> no, like I have extended family here. That's you know my kids' grandparents, um, their cousins. Where would you be? I would probably
1: be somewhere in Texas. I was gonna say Florida, man. I could see you in Florida with these (laughs) with these friggin' shirts. Um, I saw what was on your shirt when you came in. Oh my (laughs) god!
0: Don't uh, hopefully don't look too closely at the shirt. Um, No, I mean if if it was all about providing. You a, think your
1: skin could handle taxes? No, I'd be in a I'd have to have a sombrero on But 50% of your income would go to sunscreen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. That's a good trip. Um but yeah, I am here because I still have connections that I made in high school and university. Like those are still my friend groups in a lot of cases. The boys. The boys. Um <laughs> and all of our extended family is here. But you could. Like, I could sell my real estate here. Yes. Take the money, buy us a house, buy the grandparents both a house. Once you do the conversion. (laughs) (laughs) Once I pay tax on getting out of the country. But you could.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And and you'd have as nice nice or nicer houses for Mm -hmm. cheaper
0: with no Mm -hmm. mortgages. Mm -hmm. And you would just move the family down there. Mm -hmm. And you know what? For one generation, it would be a little bit like, oh, this is kind of. Odd. We're we're Canadians living in Texas. The next generation, they're not going to have any idea. They're like, oh yeah, grandma and grandpa were in a place called Nova Scotia. Doesn't mean jack to us. Mm-hmm. We're Texan now. They're Yeehaw! Gonna do, they're gonna fireworks. Pew <laughs> 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 America, let's go. You are ready. You're um, mentally there. I'm just saying, like people do do that. Um, oh yeah. And I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay here. We people on the pod. Remember? Out. Yeah, totally. They just moved. Like it's better there so i'm going to go there and just sometimes you don't do it Jesus. if you have family connections and it and it keeps you here um yeah but you Lana can make a like
1: Texas. sun all year round
0: i mean she needs to be a certain amount of minutes to the causeway <laughs> too much cape breton in our life um <laughs> But like, you can make a really easy case for that. So you look at this mass exodus. Well, first of all, the businesses leave. Mm-hmm. And then when the businesses leave, some people don't have the choice to stay or not. And we have talked before that we are ultimately fighting for people, both to prop up real estate values, especially here in Canada. Yep. There's a big reliance on that. Uh, but also human capital and, and all of these things, tax base, et cetera, et cetera. So losing people is a death knell. For a state, especially a state that's very expensive as it is and is reliant on these big expensive real estate projects and the tax revenue and all the stuff. So they're shooting themselves in the foot. They had a good run and now they're going to undercut themselves. And we're, we're all balancing this stuff, man.
1: Now, what was the point of me saying this? It wasn't to say that do I think Vancouver or Toronto is going to collapse because I think we have a different economy here propped up on false mortgages and government incomes that I, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: that uh, I sound <laughs> economic <laughs> principles. <laughs> the old, what did you say? False
1: mortgages? Yeah. False mortgages and, and propped gover- up government sector jobs. jobs. Yeah.
0: Wow. Those are some beautiful, beautiful fundamentals. And of so a I think sound economy,
1: I think those will sustain the economies of those cities for us. Um, but I just wanted to point it out because it, it is definitely something to consider in, in your head because it gets to a point where things get so expensive. San Fran's insanely expensive. Um and like you said, it gets to a point where it pushes companies out too. But I think again, Canada's buffered from that because we already push all the companies out. We also know <laughs> so if we're still surviving, with, <laughs>
0: yeah. We never really had them to begin with. We also in the states they have a lot of big cities. We have two. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. so there's less substitution it is much easier for a corporation in the States to move from California to Texas than it is for a company to move from Toronto to, you know, where are they going to go? Fredericton? No disrespect. Like the Fredericton is not on the same international scale as Toronto would be. You can't move your headquarters from Toronto to Fredericton really. Um, but you can move it from California to Texas. No beef on Fredericton.
1: Um, last point, And I'm not trying to harp on taxes or anything. It's a Canadian point. I just got back from Calgary. Calgary's having a big growth wave. Obviously, oil and gas did really well for the last couple of years. In general, Canada's having a ton of immigration. So like every other city they're growing. I've been going there five times a year for the last seven years. And so I'm I'm fairly like comfortable with the streets when I drive around. The pace at which they are addressing their issue is so fast. Like we're going on about Atlantic Canada cuz we live here and we're seeing it and we're used to nothing taking place. We're like this is insane. There's buildings everywhere going up. I drove around there. They have the same like if not more uh density of buildings going up everywhere you go and nobody really blinks an eye at it. The cost of construction is lower, people's take homes are higher and they're just like, yeah, we had a housing crisis. Like we we started talking about it about a year ago. And so we're addressing this. And mm-hmm. Lily, as I'm going down drags, like it would be the equivalent for, I think most of our listeners are local. So it'd be like equivalent of like Portland Street or something like that. Literally, I I kid you not, 80% of the single family homes on that street had a big billboard in front of them, proposed development, proposed development, proposed development. Mm-hmm. And every second house was pretty much torn down and there was a, a building going up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they're already outpacing us, I feel like. I be, I have to find the stats. but they're just like, yeah, we needed housing. So we're filling this thing in and they're going to fill that up. I, I guarantee you they'll be out of their housing crisis in a couple of years because they're building at such an expedited pace and they have all the resources to do it. And again, my bigger thing is is the average person on those sites is making more money than the average person on sites on this side of the country. Yeah. And they're building for less money still. Like I was, I just was blown away because again, I've been going down the streets for so long and well, I saw them as residential neighborhoods and before. now they're just apartment buildings. Yeah
0: the most money made off of a development is the government through taxation and fees. Oh, there, there's less, right? So Insanity. here it would probably be around 30%. Even if, it, if there, it's only 20%. That's a 10% margin on the cost of construction <laughs> right there. Right there. Uh, last, last. And their petroleum-based products are cheaper. So there's going to be that
1: too. Uh, so I, I I bought a boat, so I had to get some a bunch of boat crap. My option was to buy it online because we don't have any stores here. So the option was to buy it online from the Calgary store, but then I had to pay... I shouldn't even be talking about this, but pay local tax and uh, shipping. Or I could just go there and I bought everything. And it was, like, I saved like 500 bucks by buying it there. And then I just put it in my check bag. I got a check bag and brought it home. You brought a boat in
0: your check bag? No, no, my
1: surfboards, all the oh. accessories <laughs> that go with it. Okay. Like, And I was like, this is insane. Like, that's one purchase I made. And I was like, if I was here full time, every single yeah, purchase saved I make. Yeah, dollars on
0: every purchase. Yeah. Your, car, your car. Yeah.
1: You saved the 15%. Mind blown. Anyways, Alberta's sick. I shouldn't be piping it up. And and just, I think we're all on a frustration level. But before you get into inflation. Yeah, because we got to wrap this up. Yeah, we do need to do. StatsCan has a scale based on inflation relative to 2002. So in 2002, they set the bar at 100. So if all the prices were a dollar, that became the bar of 100. Mm-hmm. And since then, now they peg things against that to see how things have inflated since 2002. Since 2002? 2002. 2002. Okay. 21 okay. years ago. There is one sector. That's at 97.9. So Housing. that means they've gotten cheaper.
0: Oh, 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 oh. I thought you meant has gone up by 97%. No, no.
1: Like, for example, food's at 184.6. Solid. <laughs> so... The price of bananas. And I'll give you this. The average for all items on the list is 157. Okay. Yeah. So something is at 97.9. And this is an industry, not just a singular item. It's not like... Bic pens have maintained their okay. ninety-nine cent costing. And you're
0: about to ask me what it is.
1: I need to know what it is. Okay. What? The, is it it's like something a- that we use every day. It's material? Like a- I mean, there's material involved in it. Yeah. Everything um, has material involved in it. It's a physical item. It's something we use every day. Something you have lots of. Sex appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Since 2002, that has shrunk to 34%. It's, the numbers are in. I think just out of high school, it's been down um, Speaking of which, I was looking at a picture Atlanta posted yesterday of you with the long hair and all the muscles. You can even uh, see in
0: the picture, I was pretty jacked. It's yeah. It's only yeah. from like the traps. I could see
1: exactly. I can see your traps in your shoulder.
0: Um 97%. I don't know, like a barrel of crude.
1: <laughs> no, so gasoline prices have risen the most at 230.3. Yeah. Clothing and footwear.
0: Oh, really? Man, that actually kind of makes sense because... Fast fashion, baby. Fast fashion. So I've got two kids. I've mentioned them before. Mm-hmm. There is a store. This is going to be a, a weird tangent. There is a store. I think it's called Urban Kids. It's called like You Kids or something like that at the store. I think it's Urban Kids. Okay. I've never... Everything in there costs like $5. I'm not kidding you. It is It's messed. I went in there for it's Amazing. It's it is amazing. I don't know how it's physically possible. <laughs> There's some underlying labor sketchiness in there somewhere for sure. Without exaggeration, <laughs> I bought each kid seven articles of clothing. So that's 14 total articles of clothing. Guess what my bill was tax in? $84. $86,
1: $86, and I am not sponsored by you kids. Ch- Ch- Chandler's in the store holding the double XL for kids. He's like, do you think I can fit in it? A- <laughs> so I bought a couple things for my wife. I was like, she's Lana petite. definitely fits in there.
0: It is my boy. I go up and the lady, she's like, that's 86 bucks. I'm like, how,
1: how is this possible?
0: Um, but it's true. Even when I think of like a pair of Jordans, when I was working at Cleves back in the day, like I think the Jordan Twenty Three might have come out at the time,
1: one seventy nine.
0: It was like it might have been two seventy nine. The one that came in like the briefcase. Yeah,
1: oh yeah, 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 yeah. And still today, now like
0: a pair of J's, they're kind of in there in the mid hundreds. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Interesting. Now, there are some asterisks. Lululemon. <laughs> Has been able to consistently raise prices. But they did say basically what it is, is majority of the market is full of fast fashion, mm-hmm. which has basically mm-hmm. leveled the playing field for pricing. And then there's specific brands that have created...
0: Oh, yeah, micro market, like high-end high fashion for sure. Exactly. Yeah. High-end
1: fashion yeah. has actually outpaced uh, everything. Yeah. And and so luxury goods have continued to outpace stuff. But things like H&M and, and Uniqlo they have on here have stayed and kept that level down. Yeah, that's
0: true, man. Um, Interesting. Okay.
1: So... I so thought that was just,
0: interesting to see. Yeah. I don't know. There's got to be something sketchy going on. I don't know how you can make I do think, for five bucks.
1: Since we're on that tangent, I do think <laughs> a lot of places that have kept their clothing the same price, the quality has gotten worse. I will say, like, these jeans I'm wearing right now, I probably should be careful what I say, but American Eagle, I bought these from American Eagle, like, probably five or six years ago. might have been still in university. So, like, seven years ago, even. And I wore that first pair for five years. They didn't fade. I remember a ton of people used to ask me, like, how do your black jeans not fade? I was like, oh, these are great. And then finally they ripped. I continued to wear them for like two years with a giant crotch hole. And Does so then... Does Uh, look cool? Uh, well, no, having your junk hang out, is not, <laughs> not cool. Um, but I'm just too cheap. And then finally, um, girlfriend says, you got you to gotta switch these out. And so I was like, oh, sweet. Well, I'll go on American Eagle and see if I can find them again. Sure enough. I don't know if you guys know, but American Eagle doesn't change their product lines. They still sell the same jeans. So I ordered another pair. I was like, perfect. Same size, same jeans. Like, I'm guys like their jeans and they don't want to change them. Totally. So I was a super happy with pair that. pair of the same jeans. Exactly.
0: From Mark's Work <laughs>
1: Warehouse. <laughs> there you go. And so these came. I've had these now for maybe a year, maybe less. They're completely faded. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to show it on camera, but the hole is back. And yeah. they only lasted a year. And the last pair lasted five. Same with this belt. I bought the same belt. I had this belt for five or six years, no issues. So I bought the exact same one and now the leather's cracked and it's the thing's all busted and the like Yeah, that's similar to like the I think, shrinkflation stuff. I, I looked at my Reese's
0: pieces the other day and I'm like, <laughs> man, those little UFO things are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> um okay, we gotta wrap this up. But just to finish on inflation. So there was some, I guess you'd call it good news um that, that came out that the inflation numbers for May were three point four percent.
1: That's really good that's news. That's
0: really good. Right? The target, um, we talked about Bank of Canada has one mandate, and that's essentially to keep inflation down. Their target is always between kind of 1% and 3%. They were talking that they would get it under 3% by the end of the year. That seemed optimistic, but here they are at 3.4% for May. A reminder that some of what we have going on here is that they're compar- c- comparing this May to last May. Which it was psycho. It was psycho. So we're still probably up a good, I don't know, last May inflation was probably around 7%. So we're still up about 11% from 2021, but year over year we're only up 3.4%. That is good news. That would suggest some relief from potential further Bank of Canada rate increases. However, um I think the next Bank of Canada meeting is on the 12th and most people are expecting that there's going to be another 25 points. So if you're on a variable rate, there you go, you're going to get another 25 points here probably in a week. But 3.4% for May is That's promising. Really yeah. If you remove the increased interest cost of mortgages,
1: what do you think the inflation rate is I saw your paper Ah damn it, I can't even try, I can't, I can't even try and lie now two point five percent
0: two point four uh, two point five percent yeah, so almost a full percent, or roughly in this case thirty three percent yeah. of the overall inflation is purely because the interest rates on probably one third of Canadians have gone up,
1: and which means they really can't get it to go too much lower because 2% is kind of the pegged number.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's part of the overall True. inflation bundle, right? Um, but they're going to raise those rates again, perhaps here soon, which is going to put that 2.5% probably up to around, or or that effectively a, a 0.9% up to a full percent or even a bit more at the mm-hmm. next reading. So the problem they have though, is like you highlighted, If the Bank of Canada went out and said, actually, we're going to take it down 100 points, people would be lined up at the bank to get what they now perceived as cheap money. um, But it's not
1: a want. It's a need. We need housing. That's why people are going to line up there. Totally. I
0: think they're going to have to develop some sort of system whereby, and people are not going to like this, new construction gets cheaper rates and better rate terms um, because we need to get this stuff out of the ground. And unfortunately, the government doesn't seem to want to lose their piece of the pie which yeah. is all of their tax and their fees, because that would be the easiest thing to do. You just get rid of the taxes and fees on new construction, and all of a sudden, you'd get a boatload of new construction, but the governments don't want to do that. So instead, they will just do all this rigmarole and this fancy stuff and amortizations and all this to keep this facade going, but they're going to do something, I would hope, here soon like a to new spur on new construction. CMH,
1: a new, new construction CMHD program for homebuyers. They already have yeah. that, but it'd be it's have it would be making it even better.
0: It's going to have to be something lucrative yeah but anyway interesting. so thanks for listening we're all over the place it's probably because we took a little time off so we had a lot to go through here yeah um if you found anything interesting please comment below please share it pass it along to a friend Peace. love you guys thanks so much for watching the episode i hope you enjoyed it if you did press like don't forget to subscribe but also check us out on instagram and tiktok you can find all the links below thanks again for checking us out
1: broke ahead, rich habits uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits, huh?